0: Thank you, Todd. Good morning, everyone. Kids, you are dismissed for a gospel project. Hope you have a great time. Thank you to those of you who will be teaching them today. We're blessed to have so many children. Uh, Everybody else, if you would, please turn to Proverbs chapter 5. That will be one of the places we are today, so Proverbs 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair, underneath the chair in front of you. Please feel free to turn with us there and take that home with you if you don't have a copy of the Bible yourself. So we're in Proverbs 5 uh, today. As Todd uh, prayed, we have a uh, sensitive topic today. Um, If you're new with us, our conviction as a church is that the Bible is God's Word, and in it is the power that we need to live godly lives. So we're going to talk about uh, sex today. And this will be um, a frank conversation, uh, but it won't be crude. I promise um, I will be as honest and transparent as the text is, and I hope that will serve us well. So, we have a couple readers. We're going to read most of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, and then I'll talk the rest of the time from the ideas that we find there. Long passages. But I want us to get a sense of just how much the Bible says about this. So follow along in your Bibles with me. We'll start in Proverbs 5, verse 1.
1: My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years uh, to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan, when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his folly, he's led astray.
2: Proverbs six twenty through 35. My son, keep your father's commandment, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts.
3: My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through the lattice and I have seen among the simple I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today, and today I paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death.
0: you pray with me? Father, we are people uh, in desperate need of a word from you. We pray this morning wouldn't be simply a, another talk that we hear and then we depart, but that we would have an encounter with you. All of us in this room have been impacted by this topic, whether from the actions of others or our own individual actions. And so we come to you seeking your wisdom. We invite you to move power among us. Give us ears to hear, minds that can comprehend, and hearts that want to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Contrary to what you might assume, the Bible clearly is incredibly open and honest about sex, romance, beauty, and desire. God is not prudish. Here's some examples. In the Bible, there are married couples who enjoy wonderful, even erotic, sex. In the book of Genesis, there's incest and rape. There's polygamy and all the problems that go with it. There's hope filled, living, life giving encouragement to those of us in the room who are single. There's guidance for the spouse whose husband has been unfaithful. There's lust on the one hand and love on the other and everything in between. The Bible is incredibly honest and realistic about sex. And that's great news for us, isn't it? It is impossible to live wisely today without a carefully formed set of convictions and habits about sex and sexuality. If you don't catch anything else I'll say in the next 35 minutes, catch that. It's worth repeating. It is impossible to live wisely today without a carefully formed set of convictions and habits about sex and sexuality. Why? Well, we will be tempted. The question isn't if, it's when and how, but we will be tempted. Every person in this room has been impacted by our own failings, and by the failings of others. We are a society that has gone sexually insane. We are people ripe for what Proverbs would call sexual foolishness. If I could frame that in a couple of different ways. First, our culture undervalues and yet overvalues sex. We undervalue it on the one hand, and we overvalue it on the other. Let me try to explain that. On the one hand, culture undervalues sex. Now that may strike you as a strange idea, because sex is literally everywhere, everywhere. Its overtones permeate everything from shampoo commercials, to politics, to every single song on mainstream social media. Despite being everywhere though, it's completely misunderstood. So it's everywhere, and yet it's everywhere misunderstood. The Bible has a very high view of sex. It says that sex and marriage ought to be celebrated and rejoiced in. Did you hear that in those Proverbs? There's no quiet hush, hush. It's very honest and transparent. Proverbs 5 is graphic. It describes the woman as a cistern and the man as a fountain. It's getting at, within the marriage relationship, a husband and wife ought to be the best of friends, the closest of allies, the tightest of teams, the lovers who give themselves completely to each other with no hesitation whatsoever. But society has reduced sex to nothing more than hookups and orgasms. Sex is just an appetite to be fed. It's a purely physical urge. We're told, don't worry about relationships. Just feed your appetite. That's an undervaluing of sex. It's not the Bible's picture of sex at all. Paradoxically, though, the same culture overvalues sex. So even while it's misunderstood, we're told that it's everything. It's power, it's escape, it's meaning, it's life itself. Our society would want us to believe you can't be single and celibate and happy. It's impossible for those things to go together. You can't feel meaningful and loved unless you're beautiful. Ladies, you are pushed towards not caring at all about your character, and only caring about how you look. That's a tragedy. That's an overvaluing of sex. Men, you're told to just turn on your computer and pick whatever you want. No one's watching. There's an array of choices. You can find meaning and escape and power and worth And get whatever you want without any strings attached. That's a lie. That's an overvaluing of what sex can provide you. One author put it like this when we undervalue sex, we dehumanize the other. When we overvalue sex, we dehumanize ourselves. This undervaluing and simultaneously overvaluing leaves us beat up, convicted, lonely, confused, guilty. Doesn't it? There are very few of us in the room that even as I'm talking are not feeling one of those things, or maybe lots of them at the same time. Christian or not, could we agree that this isn't working. The more sexual, quote unquote, freedom we seem to attain as a culture, the worse things become. It isn't working. Maybe God has a better way. And Proverbs five, six, and seven show us collectively that he does. One commentator on this passage put it like this. To have a sexual relationship with somebody is to give physical expression to what is meant to be a covenanted relationship. That's not a word we use very much, covenanted. It just means a promised, pledged, two people under God making a commitment, a pledge, a promise to each other. So a covenanted relationship, that is, stable, faithful, permanent. To say physically, I'm giving myself to you while emotionally and spiritually holding back from covenant commitment is in fact to live a lie, a split in the personality which is ultimately stressful and destructive. That's what Proverbs tells us, is that this thing called sex, when it happens among two people covenanted together can become a beautiful wonderful life-giving thing but when it's removed from that relationship it becomes destructive harmful hurtful another way to think about this is that sexual sin always overpromises and underdelivers Sex outside of that covenant relationship that God has placed it in will always promise you more than it will give you. That's how it works. Now look at Proverbs 7, 22 and 23. This is a great two verses that help us see that. Proverbs 7, With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Now, what is she saying? Well, the text doesn't tell us because we don't have to be told. It's obvious. She's whispering to him, come to me. I can give you what you want. I am all that you need. I can make you a real man. Now, why is this a woman talking? Well, perhaps to half of us in the room, that's offensive. It's because Proverbs was originally a father talking to a son. And so the father is saying to the son, you're going to be tempted by the speech of a woman. But ladies, the same thing can be applied the other direction. Men can entice you too. There's equal opportunity for offense here. No worries. But what is she saying? What is he saying? He's promising something through his or her body. There's an over-promise of something that can be provided. Life, comfort, joy, meaning, fulfillment, sex without the strings, without the work of a relationship. But watch the under-delivering of verse 22 and 23. All at once he follows her, like an ox- goes to the slaughter, or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into its snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. He can get what she's promised, but it will underdeliver. It will not work. And yet we find ourselves as people turning again and again and again and again and again. Friends, sex is good, it's really good, but a momentary physical pleasure can never satisfy the longing of eternal joy in God. It cannot work. Our fears and inner barrenness make love a narcotic, a way of medicating ourselves, and addicts always make destructive, foolish choices. Now, Proverbs makes clear that wisdom necessitates both avoiding immorality and treasuring God supremely. One without the other won't work, it doesn't deliver. Sexual sin, or as Proverbs terms it, folly, creates inevitable pain. As one of the readers read the illustration, can you carry fire right up next to you and not get burned? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Why would we expect to get as close to this as we can and not be impacted by it? It won't work. We'll always get burned. And our sexual choices always affect more than just me. Whatever I do with my body will have an impact on others. Whatever you do in your mind, will have an impact on others. Proverbs emphasizes, interestingly, that avoiding immorality requires an awareness of both physical and audible temptation. Maybe this is because (laughs) I'm a guy, but I found this surprising as I studied Proverbs this week, that Proverbs actually emphasizes more what is said than what is seen. That more often there's an emphasis on the enticement that comes through words than through images. <clears throat> does that seem odd to you? It does to me. But as I've thought on that for a week, maybe that's why pornography today is so much more destructive than it was when I was a child. Now here's what I mean. When I was 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, becoming a man. To experience pornography, you had to go to uh, some bookstore and hide your magazine in another one. You had to look at it in public, and it was just an image. Today, if someone is getting enticed into pornography, they are watching and listening to people having sex. Its power is verbal. There are people saying things that would not have been said a generation ago. Absolutely no way to have been tempted in the same exact way. Why is that so powerful? It's because the enticement of what you hear can have an effect on the heart that what you see doesn't. Maybe there's more to this than just the availability, maybe it's the medium that it's coming through. So this father is telling his son, be careful what you hear, what you listen to, what you take in, because it can pull you like nothing else. But of course, obviously avoiding immorality demands an awareness of physical temptation as well. So Christians in the room, I would ask you, What wise habits are you cultivating that keep you from looking at and listening to things that would pull you romantically and physically into decisions that are destructive? What habits are you cultivating, Christians, that keep you from failing in this regard? And to the non-Christians in the room, I would say, let me be really clear on behalf of the rest of us. Please don't hear us saying that avoiding immorality is the goal. It's not. That isn't the greatest attainment of life. Treasuring Christ supremely is our aim. Those of us in the room who are believers believe that Christ is the apex of all desire. That life is found not by merely avoiding bad things, but by pursuing the greatest thing Jesus Himself. According to Proverbs, now when we put all of this together, how is it that we avoid what's destructive and pursue what's life-giving, Christ himself? Well, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, what it emphasizes is a word none of you are going to like. Maybe one or two, but you're the weirdos. Discipline. Discipline. Now, not the parent disciplining, disciplining the child, but the individual disciplining him or herself. Now if there's a cuss word today, it is certainly that one, discipline. Discipline is the key to not falling prey to sex and beauty. Now let me give, me three, let me give you three strategies from Proverbs that help us see the pursuit of grace-driven discipline. First, we're told to guard our heart for the heart guides your sexual organs. Friends, your body parts don't make decisions for themselves. Your heart does. Your heart is what drives what you do with your body. Your heart determines what you look at the second time. It determines who you choose to To take your shirt off for? I don't need to be any more explicit than that. Your heart determines what you do with your body. Nothing else. Except in the horrific cases of sexual abuse. And there are many. And in some way, we've got to find a way to be honest and open about that. Almost never do I experience a week as a pastor without talking with someone about sexual abuse. It has impacted the majority of us in this room. Most of the people you work with have or know someone closely who have experienced sexual trauma. Friends, it is a pandemic issue. And God has a lot to say about it. We're working as a church to become better equipped in order to help those of us in the room who have experienced trauma. And may we be a place that's safe for you to be honest about what you've faced and what you have done in order that the light of Christ could shine on you and bring healing and give life where it feels like there's just death. Jesus can take your shame. Jesus can heal. With the exception of those cases, your body will never wander where your heart hasn't already been. How do we know that? Proverbs 6.25. Don't desire her beauty. Where? In your heart. And don't let her capture you with her eyelashes. Proverbs 7.25, don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into our paths. Your heart guides what you'll end up doing with your body. You want to stop destructive behaviors. You want to get over the ones you've already done. Then the heart has to be cultivated in the gospel of grace. C.S. Lewis, magnificent quote, put it like this. Most people, if they have really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love, first think of some foreign country, first take up a subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can satisfy the wife may be a good wife. The hotels and scenery may have been excellent. The chemistry may have been very interesting job. But something has evaded us. Your heart will always reveal to you that there is a need that cannot be met by anything other than God. And yet it will also guide you towards falling into the same hole over and over and over and over again. And the only way out is to seek the love of Christ poured into that heart. Now, we could go on there forever, but Proverbs tells us more. It tells us that we need to resist temptation actively. The image that Proverbs gives is not just wait until you happen into a problem and then you'll have a way out. Instead, it tells us resist temptation actively Discipline yourself. Take responsibility for this. Nobody wanders into sexual purity. It doesn't just happen. It takes work. You can't address this area of your life when there's an occasion for sin. You've got to address it ahead of time. You gotta fill your life with a web of relationships that will help you stay focused on Christ. That's what the church is. Members, brothers and sisters who coming together say, I recognize I will not live faithfully for Christ in this area of my life apart from help. So I'm gonna be honest about where I struggle, where I'm tempted. Would you be the same with me? Let's help each other walk with Christ. That's what the body of Christ is for. Not to pretend we're clean and there's no struggle, but to say, I have failed in this, would you walk with me faithfully so that I do not fail again? That's resisting temptation actively. Daily, a great question to ask yourself is how will I resist temptation today? And, friends, Proverbs holds up for us that there are wise boundaries some of us should put in place that are different than some others. That wisdom says some of us are tempted audibly much more than we're tempted visually, some of us are tempted visually much more than audibly, some of us struggle in this area of life more than others. Some of us need to do some really crazy, radical things. That there is space among the body of Christ for you to pursue how do I wisely live in this area of my life. It might mean I'm not alone in a residence with a member of the opposite sex ever who is not my spouse. Does that sound extreme? To some of you, it might. But to others of you, you know, you've already made that decision and it has proven wise for you. And there's no verse that commands that. But this is a good area to say, how do I seek wisdom? What does wisdom look like for me personally in this area of life? Now Let's move on. A third way Proverbs tells us to seek discipline in this regard, let me speak to those who are married in the room. It says to enjoy your spouse completely. Now just to show it in the scriptures clearly, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The Bible is incredibly realistic and beautiful about sex. It teaches that there's a form and there's a freedom. That there's an environment in which God designed this beautiful thing to work. And there's a freedom within that form to enjoy one another completely. Another way to say that is there's a a structure and there's a liberation. There's a structure in which this is supposed to work and there's a freedom with which we're to operate within that structure. Married people, when you don't do that, you are setting each other up for sexual failures. More so than if you are single and there was no context in which healthy sex could be experienced. It would be helpful if you turn off your phones, (laughs) okay? Married people, almost never do I sit down with a couple, a married couple who's having problems, and part of those problems are not sexual. Now, whether that's the cause or the symptom is certainly up for discussion. But if there's a struggle in this area of your relationship, take that seriously. Whatever's causing it, address it. Be willing to be open and honest with other brothers and sisters in wise contexts who can help you work through whatever struggles there might be. Enjoy your spouse completely. That's an area of discipline, Proverbs tells us. Who's uncomfortable? Both my girls in the front row are. (laughs) Friends, these are just a few of the ways Proverbs says to pursue discipline. They are not popular paths today, but they are the smooth paths. If you want to get out of the potholes of sexual sin, today is a day to repent and then to commit to walking on the smooth path today. You can't make a decision today that will make it easy every other day, but you can for today. Amen? You'll avoid needless pain if you rely on God and lean on brothers and sisters in Christ who will encourage you to live grace-filled, gospel-saturated, Christ-exalting, disciplined lives. But the reality is, we are all sexually broken people. We are all universally guilty before a holy God. Guilty of using our bodies, our imaginations, our fellow human beings in ways that have dishonored God. Many of us have staked our worth on how we look. Others of us have manipulated people for momentary sexual pleasure and time doesn't allow but i have a list of <laughs> other ways in which we have all failed in this regard we've all sinned at some level all of us are sexual failures we all know something of the sense of shame guilt and slavery that come from that reality left to ourselves we're all morally filthy And as Proverbs 5 said, our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Nothing is hidden from him. You may think you've hidden it from everybody else, but nothing is hidden from God. None of us stand pure. Not one. But my dear friends, sexual sin doesn't get the last word. We're not without hope of cleansing and grace because the holy God is also the gracious Savior. One of the most beautiful images in the Bible is that broken, sexually foolish, immoral, adulterous people through faith in Christ become the pure, spotless bride of Christ. So Christians, you have been cleansed and forgiven regardless of what you feel. That is the truth. You individually and all of us together are the untarnished brides of Christ and he loves us completely, perfectly. That means... Christian, you have the perfect husband. His name is Jesus. And he has given himself to you and for you. So let's end today with a quote that's 500 years old, but is unquestionably timeless and true for us today. Faith unites the soul with Christ, as a bride is united with her bridegroom. From such a marriage, as Paul says, it follows that Christ and the believer hold all things in common, whether for better or for worse. What does that sound like? This means that what Christ possesses belongs to the believer, and what the believer possesses belongs to Christ. Thus, Christ possesses all good things and holiness. Now these belong to the believer. Porn addict. Christian in the room who is in an adulterous affair right now, last night. What Christ has, has been given to you. Do you believe that? If you will, if you do, then you'll stop, because our actions flow from the identity we've been given in Christ. You don't earn this, it's a gift. Martin Luther, who wrote this so long ago, was speaking to people just like us. Sexual failures, among whom Christ, because he died in our place, rose in victory, has given us purity. Christ possesses all good things and holiness. These now belong to the believer. The believer possesses lots of vice and sins. These now belong to Christ. Now, is this not a happy business? Christ, the noble, rich, holy bridegroom, takes in marriage This poor, contemptible, sinful little prostitute takes away all her evil and bestows all his goodness upon her. So it's no longer possible for sin to overwhelm her for she is now found in Christ.